0: We'll put politics aside. We'll take the muzzle off our experts so the public gets the information they need and deserve. Honest, unvarnished truth. They can handle it. Mm, I don't know. It's been four years.
1: We're sort of out of practice when it comes to the truth. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Here I am Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, a special version of it. Uh, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WP down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream... Coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, Sandler.com Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, as I say, here with a special edition of the Bradcast as we wrap up the uh, 2020 Virtual Democratic National Convention. Uh, Desi Doyen, did you survive <laughs> four nights of two hours a night, no commercials, nonstop, Democratic Ness <laughs> uh, over the <laughs> past four nights. Yes, yeah, exactly. was, it
2: was actually uh, quite pleasant. And uh, as I think I've said before, I really prefer it this way. I, I'm pretty sure that no one's going to listen to me and ever do it this way again. Unless, of course, the pandemic is still here four years from now. Oh, my God. I know.
1: Oh, my God. Hang (laughs) on. Now I have to sit down for a second. (laughs) You've you've terrified me right off the bat. I'm so
2: sorry, but I actually preferred it that way. I thought it was really well-produced, really emotive, very uh, easy to connect with. I loved seeing all the real people, all the average Americans at home, you know, from their own place. They were all adorable. And (laughs) I I think it was really a a really good convention.
1: Well, we will see if our two guests joining us momentarily agree with you, Desi Doyen. But, yes... (laughs) Joe Biden accepted the Democratic presidential nomination on Thursday night from his hometown of Wilmington, Delaware, with a vow to be a unifying ally of the light to help the nation overcome a, quote, season of darkness. It certainly has been with a promise to move an America in crisis past the chaos of President Donald Trump's tenure. In his strongest remarks of the campaign during his acceptance speech, Biden spoke both of returning the U.S. to its traditional leadership role in the world and of the deeply personal challenges that shaped his life. Virtually every sentence of his 22-minute speech was designed to present a sharp, yet hopeful contrast with the Republican incumbent And those remarks appear to have landed, according to most of the analyses I've reviewed today, uh, even among a number of the right-wing Fox News moderators covering his speech, believe it or not. The coronavirus denied the party their typical celebration and its customary balloon drop. Instead, Biden spoke to a largely empty arena near his Delaware home. Here's just a minute or two from his remarks On Thursday night
0: here and now I give you my word if you entrust me with the presidency I will draw on the best of us not the worst I'll be an ally of the light not the darkness it's time for us for we the people to come together and make no mistake united we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America We'll choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. I'm a proud Democrat. And I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility I accept this nomination for President of the United States of America. But while I'll be a Democratic candidate, I will be an American President. I'll work hard for those who didn't support me, as hard for them as I did for those who did vote for me. This is a life-changing election. This will determine what America is going to look like for a long, long time. Character is on the ballot. Compassion is on the ballot. Decency, science, democracy, they're all on the ballot. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme with passion and purpose. Let us begin, you and I together, one nation under God, uniting in our love for America, uniting in our love for each other. For love is more powerful than hate. Hope is more powerful than fear. And light is more powerful than dark. This is our moment. This is our mission. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight. As love and hope and light join in the battle for the soul of the nation. And this is a battle we will win and we'll do it together. I promise you. Thank you and may God bless you and may God protect our troops. Good night.
1: After his speech, fireworks lit the sky outside the arena where supporters waited in a parking lot, honking horns and flashing headlights in a moment that finally lent a jovial feel to a smartly crafted but often somber week-long event. The keynote address was the speech of a lifetime for Joe Biden, who would be the oldest president ever elected if he defeats Donald Trump in November. Biden would be... um, Well, let's see. Trump, who is not much younger. I think he's uh, Trump is 74. Trump has taken to call calling uh, Joe Biden slow Joe. Nonetheless, with the nation watching, Biden was firm and clear and did not falter throughout his remarks. Still, the convention leaned on a younger generation earlier in the night to help energize the. Sprawling coalition of the Democrats, Tammy Duckworth, an Illinois senator who lost her legs in Iraq and is raising two children, said Biden has, quote, common decency. Senator Cory Booker, who challenged Biden during the primaries, noted that uh, the former vice president believes in the dignity of all working Americans. And Pete Buttigieg, the 38-year-old former South Bend, Indiana mayor and a gay military veteran, noted that Biden came out in favor of same-sex marriage uh, as vice president even before president barack obama did above all biden focused on uniting the nation as americans grapple with the long and fearful health crisis the related economic devastation a national awakening on racial justice and trump who stirs heated emotions from all sides. Biden's positive focus Thursday night stood somewhat in contrast from the particularly dire warnings issued by President Obama on Wednesday night, warning that America, American democracy itself could falter if Trump is reelected. Those uh, sobering and, and somewhat un-Obama remarks sort of sliced through the week's proceedings, I thought, like a knife. Following Obama's remarks on Wednesday, vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris bridged the stark warnings offered by Obama with Biden's speech, noting uh, both that Americans' lives and livelihoods are now at risk, along with an optimistic and hopeful outlook expressed by Biden on Thursday night. Biden's Democratic Party has sought this week to put forward a cohesive vision of values and policy priorities, Highlighting efforts to combat climate change, to tighten gun laws, to embrace a humane immigration policy. And they have drawn a sharp contrast with Trump's policies and his personality, portraying him as cruel, self-centered and woefully unprepared to manage virtually any of the nation's mounting crises and policy challenges, though that was not that difficult to do. So how did uh, how did all of this work out from a, a progressive point of view? Let's take a quick break here. We will be joined by two longtime progressive media champions for some thoughts on Biden's speech, Kamala Harris's speech, Barack Obama's speech, Michelle Obama's speech, the whole week of the uh, virtual 2020 Democratic National Convention, a Democratic National Convention week in review, if you will. With Heather Digby Parton and Eric Bullard, straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
0: This is our moment. This is our mission. A history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American Darkness began here tonight. This is
1: We will see. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com with special coverage. The week in review of the uh, 2020 Democratic National Convention here on the Bradcast. The progressive American uh, prospects, Harold Meyerson, observed in his acceptance speech, Joe Biden was the economic fairness guy. No Democratic presidential nominee since Harry Truman has highlighted unions more in his acceptance speech. He was the Black Lives Matter backer, recounting his talk with George Floyd's six-year-old daughter. He vowed to combat the climate crisis, elevating it as the fourth overlapping crisis that we face alongside racism, the economy and the pandemic, creating millions of jobs in the process. Strategically, Biden put the pandemic right where it belongs, he says, at the center of the election. Trump's failure to deal with covid Biden argued, is the reason why the economy can't start up, why schools must be shuttered, why schoolchildren's parents can't go to work. It is not that way, he pointed out, in Canada or Europe or Japan. The pandemic, Myerson argues, has taken the traditional divide between the two parties over the role of government and the role of markets to a new level that plainly advantages the Democrats, the absence of government. Policy to combat the pandemic has discredited Trump's and Mitch McConnell's Republicans as surely as the absence of a government policy to combat the Great Depression discredited Herbert Hoover. While it's clear that the vast majority of progressives will vote for Biden, many remain wary, and understandably so, he says, but the pandemic has given Biden the opportunity to champion activist government in a way that all but Trump zealots and die-hard laissez-faire nutcases will support. For all the sh- various shortcomings in Biden's programs, they remain the most progressive any Democratic presidential nominee has embraced in half a century, Meyerson argues. As Andrew Yang said during Night 4's discussion among this year's other Democratic presidential hopefuls, quote, the magic of Joe Biden is that everything he does becomes the new reasonable there are clear differences for example between aoc's green new deal and biden's pledge to invest two trillion dollars to arrest climate change but when he and aoc support the same particular plank of climate policy it sounds a lot less radical coming from biden because he's biden that of course won't stop republicans from attacking that plank but it could swing enough centrist democrats to turn it into law. Running against a dangerous, racist, narcissistic buffoon in a year when the certainties of normal life have gone missing, that should suffice, Myerson argues, but it'll take a hell of a lot of work from a hell of a lot of people to nail down the victory the nation so desperately needs. Joining us now for analysis of Biden's speech and uh, the rest of the DNC sort of week in review are lo- two longtime friends of the broadcast who have been laboring in the progressive media trenches as long or longer than me. The great Heather Digby Parton, known as simply Digby to many at the long running Hullabaloo blog, is also a regular contributor at Salon and a winner of the Sydney Hillman Prize for opinion and analysis journalism. Hey Heather, did you make it through the week? And I, I mean, miss. I mean both the convention and the heat and fires out here in Southern California.
3: <laughs> uh, yes to all of the above so far. The week is not over yet, but no, that's uh true. yeah. <laughs> it's uh so far, so good. Right. Hang it in there.
1: Good. I'm also delighted to be joined by the no less great Eric Bollert, longtime news media analyst and critic at Media Matters and Salon and Delicose, Coast, and now publishing his own must-read newsletter called Press Run, which you can subscribe to for free at pressrun.media. Welcome back, Mr. Bollert. Bollert from, uh, from the East Coast, where the weather is always delightful, I know.
4: Uh, Yes, exactly. How are you, Brad?
1: (laughs) I'm doing okay. Thanks for joining us. All right, as to the uh, performative aspects of all of this, since, in truth, political conventions long ago became little more than a week-long infomercial for each party, I'm a guy who spent years actually producing complicated live performances, uh, if never on this grand scale. I thought it was actually a masterfully created, week-long narrative uh, in truth, that effectively told the story that Democrats, uh, I think, had hoped to tell. So let's start with you, Heather. Your uh, sort of general overview of the week.
3: Well, I agree with you. I think the, I mean, for me, this was the you know the best convention I've watched on television um, ever. Yeah. Um, and it be you know it was a tight program. I think exactly what you say. It had a narrative that. Mm-hmm. You know, ran through the threads of it ran all the way through from from Monday through Thursday. I thought it was really well produced. Even the speeches, which you know, it did, obviously it didn't have the energy that you have watching a live um you know convention speech in front of a bunch of people but in a way that was exactly what was needed because people needed to pay attention to what these people were saying and not the event itself or the excitement of the moment because they they had a very strong and important message to get out to the american people and uh, you know i thought that it was re- it was really really well done much more than i could have expected yeah. i mean as you say they've been infomercials for a long long time this was an actual produced infomercial, <laughs> yeah. and it was done with that, uh, that in mind. And uh, for me, it really worked. I, you know, I'd like to, the roll call, which everybody's talked about as mm. being so great. It was really great, and they should do that again. I mean, I don't yeah. care whether they do a live convention again in the future or whatever, but they should do it again. And just one more thing mm-hmm. before I go, and I think Eric will agree with me on this. It was mercifully devoid at least on most of the networks of talking heads Mm, talking over everything and giving their instant analysis and saying stupid things for three or four hours (laughs) instead we got to actually watch the program which is what the democrats were trying to do and you know they'll do the same thing for the republicans it'll be equal time but that was so refreshing to me not to have to listen to the pundits just say the obvious you know over and over and over
1: again yeah actually i thought doing away with the artifice artifice of the convention itself uh actually helped because that's really what this has been about for a long time is a narrative uh eric a week ago i think nobody other than maybe the organizers had any idea how this was going to be pulled off so uh you know now that it's over big picture for the moment how did they do
4: yeah, I, I agree. I think they were given an almost an impossible task. Um, you know, when people said this is going to be online, it's going to be virtual. Uh, the first half hour, people are on Twitter saying, "Oh, this looks like a telethon. This looks, this looks kind of silly." Uh, it really transformed what we know about uh, political conventions. And 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 Heather is right. One of the things I noticed was it was a sealed performance. Right? It was two hours. They did not. So there were no breaks in the speeches like Mm -hmm. a traditional convention. They did not give any oxygen Mm -hmm. to the pundits to jump in and say, "Oh, this is what I think. This is what you know." We've had we've the campaign coverage this year has almost completely evaporated traditional uh, media campaign coverage because there are no rallies, there are no uh, you know the, the the candidates aren't out there if you turn on the tv you don't see punditry about the campaign almost at all it's all covid it's all uh what trump is trying to you know destroy the us post office so po- the campaign coverage has been uh, pulled way back, and in a way, it's kind of good. <laughs> you know, I don't see any huge disadvantage yet yeah. to there not being hundreds of hours of punditry about Joe Biden and and Donald Trump. And and again, it's because of this larger picture. This is such serious business. We don't need all that nonsense. We uh, most people understand. Uh, what's going on, you know, and I think when you when you package this so tightly biden 's speech I think was twenty minutes mm-hmm. that is exactly as long as you need to have one of these speeches it's, it it yep. was It was the shortest speech in thirty or forty years at a convention there's no reason they have to run forty forty five minutes so that that should be an automatic automatic going forward i again i don't know what conventions are going to look like in the mm-hmm. future. these speeches you know and Kamala's speech was probably. Twelve or fourteen minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a good thing. Like, keep <laughs> the attention. You don't have to. You don't have to do the laundry list. Keep people's attention. Tell your story. Why it's important. The dangers we're facing. Obama's was also. So it was great. Uh, and and uh, the roll call was great. And and I think one of the great the, 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 the interesting things we don't know what the Republican one's going to be. Uh, I have my suspicions about what it's going to be. The networks don't even know. Republican Party hasn't even told them who's speaking, what it's going to look like. You know, this is a convention that was canceled two weeks ago in Jacksonville. It seems chaotic. One of the things that's great about the Democratic, you know, it shows where the creativity is, and it shows where people who can create things out of nothing, they're mostly progressives, and they're mostly Democrats, and they're smart, and they're visual, and they're great writers, and they're great producers. It, it just kind of gives you a certain amount of pride that this is what our side can, can produce, Uh, and make it so uh, important and impactful and fun to watch and great TV and really invent something out of thin air the way they did. It
1: is no easy feat to do uh, two straight hours, no (laughs) commercials, you know, four days in a row. As to those speeches, you know, being uh, short and sweet, they were probably uh, written about as long as they usually are, but they were not interrupted by, you know, uh, two minutes of applause between each and every line. And the other thing was, Uh, You know, normally these conventions, they'll pull away, they'll show the speaker, the politicians, and then they'll pull away during those video segments. And I always go, when when I'm watching it on TV in an event, it's like, well, that looks interesting. I want to see that video (laughs) montage. Now we actually got to see it, and I thought some of those montages... And, you know, those those thoughts from actual Americans and, and so forth were some of the most interesting uh, stuff, often far more interesting than what the politicians had to say. Uh, Heather, have you texted vote to 30330 yet?
3: <laughs> I didn't have to. I already get, I don't know, 1,500 uh-huh. or so texts every day. Yeah. So I figured yeah. I probably I, I'm in. So Pro- I, I didn't really have to. Probably a good but idea.
1: I, people should. Well, I I don't know if they should. If you want to be (laughs) trapped forever on the Democratic Party's cell phone list, I guess you should. Uh, Do either one of you have any really, really nice stories to tell me about Joe Biden or how he has personally (laughs) helped you or your family? Because, I mean, if this week was any indication, it sure seems like he helped everybody else in the country except for me. So I'm feeling somewhat slighted.
3: Uh, I don't have any personal stories, but I have to say, I think that it was pretty mm-hmm. pretty smart of the Democrats to focus on this with Biden. And, I mean, we can talk a lot more about, you know, the various other aspects of the, the convention that were important, but that was obviously the theme, right? Joe yeah. Biden is a human being. Right. He, is a, he is a very decent, empathetic human being. And I they didn't even really need to draw the contrast with you know the other guy, <laughs> and and you know I they, obviously I mean I think for a lot of us one of the highlights was the 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 kid uh, Braden who who spoke they did a video last night mm-hmm. A brave brave kid thirteen years old
1: Braden who, Harrington from Braden New Hampshire Harrington, yeah
3: I mean he is he is everybody's hero right right because he you know got up there and did something that was truly courageous and gave a speech and he's a stutterer like Joe Biden and just sort of showed what You know, that what you were just talking about, that, you know, Joe Biden literally changed this kid's life just with a conversation that they had and sharing and being empathetic to him as he as he could be. And, uh, you know, I don't have great feelings for politicians. You know, I've told you this many times before that I'm dead inside. So, you know, I don't usually have an emotional reaction, Mm -hmm. but that made me emotional about Brayton, of course, yeah. you know, loving the fact that he was so, so brave to do that, but also about Joe Biden. I yeah. mean, that mm-hmm. really conveys the fact, and I honestly believe that people around the country had to see that, and various other examples, as you say, there were hundreds of them. Countless, yeah. Of his, of his um, you know, genuine human feeling for his family and for strangers and for everybody, and that immense kind of relief that that gives you the idea that this is a a human being that could be running the country and I think we've forgotten what that may have felt
1: like. Well, uh, Eric, uh, jokes aside, I mean, it does seem like after watching the convention for a week and I don't know if it was crafted this way on purpose or not, uh, kudos to them if it was, but by the end of the week it felt like this has now been shaped into a race between the nation's nicest guy Versus the nation's meanest guy. And as simple as that seems, I kind of think that's how we tend to vote in this country. You know, policies aside, the more likable person uh, tends to win. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the name? Chris Matthews, or over on, used to be on MSNBC. Used to talk about the candidate with the who you who had the most sunshine on their face. But I think there is something uh, truthful about that. We tend to vote for the person who is the most likable. Am I right about that?
4: Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, people don't really vote on policy. It, it is a popularity contest, and in and in our media entertainment world, even more so. Uh, you know, I tweeted something last night at the beginning of the speech. I mean, it was a very serious speech, but about two minutes in, Biden flashed his signature smile, and it just <laughs> kind of lights up the TV. And yeah. you think, yep. I haven't seen Trump smile in, in five years. I doubt he smiled like Biden did once in 30 years. I mean, it's in him, right? And so, you know, there was a reason the theme of his speech was lightness and dark, right? They were they are clearly setting this up in a, in a not overtly over the top hammer uh, way, as, as you say, the nice guy versus the mean guy, mm-hmm. the, you know, lightness versus darkness. You know, Biden has run a brilliant campaign. He ran a brilliant campaign during the primaries when people were saying he's not even, he's running this brilliant campaign, obviously now with COVID, more so, where people, are think, people think he's not even running a campaign. But people felt that way during the primary. People thought, what, what is he doing? It's You know, where's where's the X, Y, Z? Well, you know, everyone else is running around scurrying, and he's just kind of plotting along. What, what's his plan? And if, that was his plan, and it worked brilliantly, I mean, for lots of different reasons during the primary. Uh, and, and it seems to be working very well now, and he knows who he is. The people around him know who he is. They know who he's not. They know what he can do well. They know what he doesn't do well. Uh, and, and they're letting, you know, kind of Joe be Joe. Um, and, and, you know, the speech last night was fantastic. And, and, and again, it was concise and brilliant. Uh, It was the speech uh, of his life. There's no question about that. And that's hard to do in an empty room. Mm -hmm. That's really hard to do. Just little things. You know, like when Trump, I have no idea what he's going to do next week. But when Trump gives a speech, he does this side-to-side teleprompter thing. Mm -hmm. And and it's like, it's ridiculous. Biden, I, I guarantee, has read that speech 50 times. He practiced it 50 times. He read the teleprompter right in front of him. He was looking at your eye for the entire 20 minutes, uh, and it just, it, it connects, you know, it really does connect in an important way, and it goes back to your point about, you know, the nice guy versus the mean guy. I mean, he will look you in the eye. Trump won't look you in the eye because he knows the whole thing's a con.
2: Yeah, I think the uh, when the, the entire way that the week was set up, and then also building to Biden's uh, speech that he gave shows that, You know, Biden is everything that Trump isn't. I think what comes out of this is that a lot of Americans, if they were able to watch, saw it and said, yeah, Biden would show up for me personally he
1: actually did these things he would actually give out his yes. personal phone number to these uh, and i people. think a
2: lot of people did not realize i what, won't
1: even give my personal phone <laughs> number out to these people. exactly
2: so i think a lot of folks saw something that they probably didn't know they all knew oh yeah everybody says right. biden's a nice guy whatever whatever but this i think actually presented that to them that yeah he really is that way he really will show up for you and that was a very stark contrast because i don't think anybody thinks trump would show up for them
1: I think uh, also, uh, Heather, and this is something, uh, you know, Joe Biden introduced his candidacy at some point last year with a video declaring that we are in a battle for the soul of America. And now there are many things about which I disagree with Joe Biden and uh, with his policies and places where I think he he ran a terrible uh, uh, primary campaign in in many respects early on. But a year later, or wherever we are here at this point, I got to say, he nailed it a year ago when he said, This campaign is about the battle for the soul of America. That part, he was right on the money, it seems to me.
3: Yeah, I mean, that spoke to me from the beginning. And I, I wasn't a Biden voter, but I certainly, you know, respected and responded to that particular call. And it always seemed to me to be one of those things that. That maybe had some resonance that was gonna gonna be meaningful you know for those of us who've been following this this utter disaster of a of an administration you know on a daily basis i mean that was nothing nothing Biden said in that original speech was news to us, but it was nice to hear people speaking in that kind of sort of moral mm-hmm. terms and also with the urgency that that he has been saying it and that Obama said at the at the convention. We haven't talked about his speech, but I mean, I was blown away, and not because I mean, we all know Obama's a great speaker, and we expected it to be a very eloquent speech because that's what he does. But this thing was different than anything I've ever heard it, him say. It and was, I think
1: but hold that thought because I want to I want to finish on Biden and come back to exactly oh that yeah. after we take a break. Because yeah, I I. I'm I'm still feeling that uh, Obama speech from a couple of nights ago. Uh, let me ask Let me ask you, Heather. There was uh, you know much less of a reach out to progressives than I might have otherwise uh, thought that they would have done. There was a lot of reach out to disaffected Republicans. I'd sort of like to get both of your thoughts on this, but uh, Heather, as the co-founder of the Blue America Pack with our friends uh, Howie Klein of Down with Tyranny and John Amato of Crooks and Liars. Uh, you know, raising small dollar donations for progressive candidates. Was it the right direction? Is it the right direction to win to uh, win this les- uh, this election to seem seemingly be reaching more out to reaching more out to uh, former Trump voters uh, than to, uh, you know, progressives on the Democratic side?
3: Well, to be honest, I don't think they were reaching out to former Trump voters as much as they were reaching out to independ- to Republican-leaning independents, okay. um, which is, you know, kind of a different group, but there's a lot of them. And, and those are the kind of people who might look at these kind of middle-of-the-road Republicans like you see, you know, Colin Powell or John Kasich, and they might, you know, reassure them that you know it's safe to vote for the the democrats we you know the democrats are kind of winking and saying hey you know we're we're competent okay we're not going to you know we're not going to screw things up um and i think that's fair enough i think the democrats have made a a, an assessment that barring you know tremendous amounts of cheating and i think you know we have to assume that's going to that may be happening, but mm-hmm. um, that turnout is not going to be their problem, and so they are now looking at at persuasion. We'll find out if that was a, a reasonable thing to do, but I don't I, I don't feel like I mean you know this is what conventions are about. Uh, the the TV show anyway um, is to you know sort of put together try and put together the coalition that you're hoping to take into November. And it, it's obvious that they have made a decision that they have a chance at getting some of those Republican-leaning independents. Maybe a few Trump, you know, maybe former Obama-to-Trump voters. Maybe some of those. Certainly the um, Republican uh, suburban women, although I think they're in the bag. Uh, you know, they hate Trump with a, with a burning passion of a thousand suns. Um, so I, uh, you know, I think I think that was their was their thing. Now, you know, progressives, you know. Progressive jobs, as far as I'm concerned, is to just be a thorn in the establishment side and to always, always be dissatisfied. So, of course, they were, but that's how, how you're supposed to be. You got to push, right? Eric- not <laughs> Nobody will listen to you.
1: Your, Eric, your thoughts <laughs> on that? I know that a lot of progressives were not happy to see uh, John uh, Kasich, the uh, former uh, Republican governor, uh, you know, get more speaking time than AOC. That said, by the way. I actually thought Kasich did a great job, as did some of these other Republicans, uh, making the case for Joe Biden. I don't know if that turns off progressives or not, but was it, was it the right balance, too much, too little, as you see it?
4: Well, I think, you know, again, with the, the, the speaking uh, slots being so brief, you know, I, when I first heard AOC was only going to get a minute, I was like, what is going on? Like, how can we screw this up this badly? But then you watch, you're like, OK, that made sense. Ever, you know, a lot of these people are getting minute you know Casey was wasn't on for 20 minutes droning on and on about Ohio. You know, it was a pretty quick hit and it, and it it, it it makes sense in that context. I'm not a huge fan. We've seen this at Democratic convention after Democratic convention, you know, where they kind of wheel out these Republicans and it's like, okay, we get it. Um I I am I'm, I'm kind of tired of that shtick. Republicans don't bother with Democrats at their convention. Um uh, but I I think overall In in this convention, again, where everything was very quick, you know, very kind of fast-paced, I I was okay with it. I was okay with it. And, And I think after four days, when you looked at the totality of the programming, I don't think there was any group that was kind of blatantly slighted or, or any... It was a wildly... It was an amazingly diverse yeah. collection of voices, and, and and that's, to me, the most important part. I think
1: there was not enough progressive radio hosts uh, taking uh, <laughs> part in the event, but that might just be me. Let's take a quick break here. We'll talk about a few other moments uh, from the week with uh, Heather Digby-Parton and Eric Bollert, uh, including what I thought Heather uh, got ahead of us there with uh, some remarks that... Uh, and I don't blame her uh, from these remarkable this remarkable speech from Barack Obama, as well as the uh, some pretty remarkable speeches from vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris. And yes, even Michelle Obama. And then we'll figure out what could possibly be in store to counter all of this from the, uh, I guess, similarly uh, virtual Republican National Convention beginning on Monday quick break and we're back with all that and more i'm brad friedman you are listening to the bradcast
3: Joe Biden goes to church so regularly that he doesn't even need tear gas
2: and a bunch of federalized troops to help him get there. When Donald Trump spoke at his inauguration about American carnage, I assumed that was something he was against, not a campaign promise. Tonight, I couldn't be prouder to be a loyal union member,
3: a passionate climate activist, and a patriotic Democrat. Or as Donald Trump will call me in a tweet tomorrow, a washed up horse face no talent has been with low ratings.
2: Well, with all due respect, sir, it takes one to know one.
1: Welcome back. It's the Bradcast special coverage, the week in review, I guess we can call it, of the Democratic National Convention, not in Milwaukee, but really everywhere across the country. Uh, welcome back. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, speaking with my special guests, Heather Digby Parton of Digby's Hullabaloo and Eric Bullert of Press Run. Um, hey, I thought the the four ladies, including uh, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus there, Uh, who are hosting this strange new role of hosting. I thought they were fantastic. I have no idea how the Republicans are going to match pretty much any of this. But uh, let me ask uh, you guys who are still with us about that in a moment. Let me, since I know Heather wanted to get ahead to this, as did I, there were a lot of, um, you know, remarkable speeches and, and other stuff throughout the week Uh, But again, not necessarily on the policy level, but on the politics level, since these conventions are much more about politics than policy, it seems to me. Michelle Obama's speech was remarkable as Monday night's closer uh, with stark warnings about uh, um, uh, democracy on the very precipice. But her husband's speech on Wednesday night just sort of blew me away both coming from a former president and from this former president in particular I thought it was a speech for the ages I played it so much so that I played it almost in in its entirety on uh, on our previous uh, broadcast heather you were chomping at the bit to get to this so let me <laughs> let you pick that up there
3: well i mean i just this was you know those of us who've been watching this debacle over all these you know years now of watching watching trump and the way or the politics of our country have just kind of imploded, and you know, all of us who are talking here right now know that this didn't happen overnight. It's been a very long sort of haul for many, many years, decades, in fact, um, has been building up to this moment where Donald Trump would take the Republican Party and basically explode it all over all over the country um, into this sort of you know cult, essentially, um, uh, and. You know, Obama had always been, you know, he was that, you know, we don't have a red America and a blue America. We just have, you know, one America under God and whatever. You know, I mean, he was this guy who really wanted, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. to do that, to to, br- to be a unifier and to bring the country together. And And he got up and gave this speech, which I've never heard him be quite this, you know, boldly realistic mm-hmm. about what was go- what is going on and it really meant something coming from him because you just didn't expect it and when he you know as a former president as you point out someone who really I think he takes that role very seriously I think that he's someone who did not want to be you know a, a huge player in politics after he left the presidency. That's not traditionally the way it's done. I think he wanted to be someone who, you know, would be an elder statesman maybe and, you know, do some, you know, some bipartisan stuff with voting rights in Africa or something. But nothing like this, this, you know, getting right involved so directly Mm -hmm. in in a a campaign. And he just he just laid it out. You know, we are in trouble. This is serious if you do not do what you have to do to get out there and vote this guy out, we may not make it. And I was kind of, you know, going, whoa. It was, not it, that I didn't know that, but, I mean, to hear it coming <laughs> from him was like, wow, this, the, the party itself gets it. It
1: well, was, was kind of scary in one sense. I mean, I joked uh, a few minutes ago about you know not enough progressive uh, radio hosts, but actually his speech was kinda like a progressive radio host, just, you know, cutting to it and telling the truth. And uh you might expect to hear me say something like that, but to hear it from a former president in those stark yeah. terms, I thought was just stunning, Eric.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, he he's called no drama Obama for a reason, right? He right. He, he thrived on that even keel, uh, you know, no matter what the circumstances. He was a calming uh, force on this country, and he was removed from it, and and all, all, all hell broke loose. Uh, and and he's done that. And, as Heather was saying, you know, he takes seriously his role as being an, an ex president. People, you know, of years who wanted him to be up front and, and you know being forceful. And he, he decided he was going to take a certain path. And I think he realized this. You know, I, I'm sure he he's cried himself to sleep many nights, just like all, all the rest of us watching what's happening to this country and i and you know he, you know he realizes he has certain opportunities and and he was going to use it um and you're right i mean basically saying if trump's reelected america will not survive he didn't quite use those words but he he he, he was he came pretty close yeah uh he, he that's i mean that is the message and when obama says it you know, if someone else says it, people say, "Oh, that's rhetoric." Oh, that's hyperbole. Oh, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, when Obama says it, when he's been so, you know, not at the forefront and trying to be diplomatic, and, and for the last three years, so when he comes forward and says it, yeah. I think it, does, it certainly carries uh, an additional urgency. You know, look, I, you know, I, I tweeted my if I could if I could have inserted one line in Biden's speech, I wish he had said you know talking about this trump you know let's face it this guy's a psychopath i mean i wish there was lots of language that was used this week that wasn't used and uh, that's still considered out of bounds for a convention but i'm glad that obama didn't try to you know you know didn't say hey we're going to be fine hey everything's okay hey this is america we're going to you know every, you know we're guaranteed a happy ending cuz we're not So I'm glad he, 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 as you said, it did kind of cut through, and I'm glad he laid it on the line for everyone saying, no, there's a chance we would not survive. He
1: might not have actually said out loud that this guy is a psychopath, but I'm pretty sure I heard both him and Michelle say exactly that same thing in their speeches. Because their subtext was coming out pretty loud and clear, Eric. I also uh, noted that I thought uh, uh, this week that I thought Kamala Harris, who I've never been a great fan of, uh, living out here in California, we've seen her for years. I thought she outperformed expectations. I think she delivered as good of a presidential acceptance speech as is humanly possible.
2: You mean a vice presidential. Uh, what did I
1: say? President. Presidential. Okay, not yet. Getting ahead of my a vice presidential expe- acceptance speech that is po- humanly possible and that I've ever seen, and here's where I hope to get in trouble. I have not seen one that good, Eric Bullert, since Sarah Palin's in 2008.
4: <laughs> well, look, I mean, most people don't know who she is, even though she ran during the primary. She got out pretty early, as we recall, so this was a blank slate for a lot of Americans. It, it, I, I, one of the complete mysteries of the primary season, there were many, was why she didn't do better, I thought, and still think she is a rock star. You go You go back to that comment about Chris Matthews, who has the most sunshine. Mm-hmm. You know, on their yeah. face, Kamala Harris is a rock star. Mm-hmm. I mean, she jumps through that TV screen yeah. uh, in, in a great way. And that's what I thought she did. She has a compelling life story. She's smart as a whip, all that great stuff. And I thought she did a wonderful
1: job. Uh, Heather, your thoughts on either Kamala or Michelle or both as you see fit?
3: I think they're both great. And, and I, you know, I mean, Michelle Obama has, you know, a certain magic that just, you know, <laughs> transcends... Politics. That she sends a like, tingle
1: down your leg. Can well, I say that really, as but, long as you know,
3: I don't get tingles, but I do appreciate <laughs> the fact that she always kind of comes off as someone that you know I might know. Mm-hmm. Some person, maybe Desi thinks the same thing. Maybe it's a, oh, yeah. it's a woman thing.
4: Maybe. that, that
3: she just seems to me to be someone I could see as a girlfriend, and mm-hmm. I don't mean that you know in any way to sort of say that she's just you know a regular gal, because mm-hmm. obviously she isn't. But she has the common touch in that way. And she has the ability to
2: connect with people.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I always think of her like going on, on uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon, you know, back when Fallon was relevant. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she used to do this sort of mom thing, right? And and it was mm-hmm. hilarious. And she, she even can send her own self up on that. So I'm always interested to see what, what she says. And this speech that she gave this year was very serious, but in the same vein mm-hmm. as, as as her husband. Um, And Kamala, uh, you know, I I don't think I was surprised at all. In fact, we talked about this last time when I was on the show, you know, who I expected him to choose. And I did expect him to choose Kamala for the reasons that Eric just laid out. She, She has star quality. She's very smart. She's the right age. She's the right you know everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the you know for the moment i think and 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 everything about her sort of sends sends the right message i think about the democratic party particularly with an elderly you know white guy who's been around forever at the top of the ticket so it made perfect sense to me and you know you talk about the sunshine on her face those two smiles we we i know. know Biden's smile earlier and you put hers there yeah. you, know, you couldn't see him with the masks last night when they had their outdoor mm-hmm. fireworks show but i'm telling you you know it's like whoa bring me my sunglasses
0: you know, that is that, that's
3: a lot of teeth and a lot of smile and you know what i i think that's actually something that's kind of necessary right now you know there has to be somebody that you know see again they're human beings and you know this is this is the contrast between you know, hopefully what what we see, the hard work ahead for the Democratic Party, and it's going to be overwhelmingly difficult to do this. But
1: I, I think But that, they
3: can do it with some hope, anyway.
1: And I think that uh, one of the things that they all benefit, I've just got a, a minute or two here left, but I think that one of the things that, um, actually, this, this sort of somber mood, the lack of the audience uh, throughout the week, I think that was actually appropriate for what the country is currently going through. But I think that the, the lack of crowds, and uh, Eric, you talked about the sort of the side-by-side uh, teleprompter thing, because they didn't have an audience, they didn't have to do the side-by-side teleprompter thing. They could put the teleprompter thing right in the camera, and that allowed Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, uh, right. Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, to speak directly to the camera to give an intimate appeal uh, that none of them really could have made to a stadium. Yeah, I don't know what uh, uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans are going to do. I know uh, Trump has a really hard time unless he's got people there to applaud and love him and give him instant yep. feedback. That could end up hurting him, uh, as you know, in one sense because that direct appeal. These guys just jumped out into my li- living room and grabbed me, grabbed me by the throat. So what the hell? Uh, should we expect from the Republicans uh, beginning on Monday night? Do you have any guess, any idea?
4: Um, I, I, well, Trump apparently is going to appear each night. Not a surprise. He's an egomaniac. Uh-huh. I don't, you know, I, we don't know in what role is he going to speak every night. Just as you were saying that, I can't remember of any instance where we've ever seen him give a speech, uh, a teleprompter speech, in front of nobody. So he was in Arlington, Virginia today and yucking it up, but he was, you know, he wants to be in a room with Republicans, and that's where he was. Uh, and that's why he holds these even minuscule rallies. He's out on the, campaign, quote, campaign trail. He's in Pennsylvania. I think he spoke to, like, 300 people, and it's so pathetic for the president of the United States uh, so he's got to have that crowd. He's awful giving a teleprompter speech every time he was reading it. it mm-hmm. It's not like he's reading it for the first time. It is the first <laughs> time he's reading it, and that's that's what he's going to do next week. And we talked about the creativity and the artist and the and the ingenuity uh, uh, on the Democratic and Progressive side. I have no idea who they're going to have <laughs> to host these things. What kind of entertainment? It could be just as bad as the Democratic convention turned out to be fantastic. There's mm. no question about that.
1: I'm feeling I'm feeling train wreck coming, but I don't know if that's just because uh, I'm I'm hopeful or because <laughs> I, I think that's actually uh, what may be coming. Do you have uh, any better sense, uh, Heather, of what we should expect next week?
3: Well, as Eric mentioned earlier, they. Up until very recently, they were planning a live convention at the convention center in Jacksonville. I think it was, what, three weeks ago that they canceled it, two yeah. weeks ago? Really, recently. So they've had to retool overnight. And then what we hear is, is that Trump, as he's been watching the Democratic convention, he's got, gets on the horn all night calling up his convention people, telling, giving them ideas and telling them that he wants them to change things. Mm. So, oh, my God. You know, I mean, this thing that the Democrats did, that was carefully planned. Months and months. Months and months. I mean, and part of it is, and I think this says something about the difference between them as well. Yeah. The Democrats saw the the future and said, look, we better plan a virtual convention because people, you know, they're looking at the science and saying the virus isn't going away. We can't have a convention. And they did the smart, competent thing. Trump, well... You know, he's Trump. And so here we are. So I, I have no idea. I mean, I honestly don't. And apparently the networks don't either. They're sitting there in the dark. They don't know what's going to happen.
2: Well, I think one, we're good. one thing we can probably be guaranteed is that the Republicans at the Republican National Convention are going to become fairly unhinged about trying to destroy Biden and smear him and project oh, yeah. onto him oh, all of, of the things that, of that Trump actually is and try to make him sound like he's some kind of, you know, international criminal. And um, <laughs> we're going to have to just... See what kind of fear-mongering hellscape they put forth
1: <laughs> uh, yeah good luck he certainly didn't seem that way uh, no, exactly. over the past week although uh, Eric did they did they even what did they carry on Fox News do you have any idea I didn't get the uh, I didn't it, it came on at a time that I could not watch it live this week so I have no idea actually how Fox News ended up carrying it.
4: Oh, in terms of the Biden
1: stuff? Yeah, was, uh, the whole week did they carry? Yeah, I mean, no, they it-
4: carried it. Oh, they carried it all, and their ratings were awful, just awful. They haven't had ratings that low. In they the carried year.
1: it gavel to gavel. They didn't uh, dip uh, in and out? You know
4: out? The, the you know the eight to uh, eight to eleven, nine to eleven. Uh-huh. Yeah, they carried it all. Good. And, and their and their viewers fled, <laughs> just oh. like when they just like when they aired the John Lewis funeral a couple weeks ago. Everyone just turned it off uh, <laughs> because the Fox News audience just isn't interested. Real quick, you know, we we may look back and think, you know, Clint Eastwood talking to that chair at that convention (laughs) is going to seem like brilliant programming (laughs) compared to what we get next week. Well, I just want to hear what Scott Bayo has to say, that's all. Uh, oh,
1: all. Scott Bayo, the my pillow guy, <laughs> uh Diamond and Silk. We're going to hear from all, all of the big them. Games. It's going to be And I got to tell you names. I know, and I got to tell you cuz I was sort of at the beginning of the week I was saying, "You know what? Well, we'll suffer through this week. The real fun will be next week when the uh, Republicans do their thing cuz it's always more fun to watch a train crash." But um They, uh, the Democrats surprised me this week, and I have no idea what we're going to get next week. But I do hope at the end of that week, if we are all still standing, that you guys will consider uh, joining us again for the Republican National (laughs) Convention Week in Review. It'll be much funnier, I'm guessing.
3: I'm here. Right. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. All <laughs>
1: yeah, right. You got no other plans. All right. I figured as much. Heather Digby Parton, you can find her work as always at salon.com and at digbysblog.net. You can and should follow her, uh, her Twitter feed as well at digby56. As to Eric Bullert, you can find him on the Twitters at Eric Bullard, And I strongly recommend stopping by Media. And signing up for his uh, newsletter uh, on on the media and the way the media has been covering uh, all sides of this uh, political season. Uh, PressRun dot Media is that three times, two or three times a week, Eric? Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right, unless you're slacking. All right. Hey, <laughs> thanks, guys. Really appreciate you joining us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Okay, Desi Doyen, Well, uh, as I said, we we've made it through week one. <laughs> But there is a storm coming. Storms oh, are coming. Many
2: storms are coming. And- is-
1: Yeah, I'm not even talking about the uh, Republican National Convention, which will be its own storm. We've got a couple of other storms actually coming in the next few hours, it looks like.
2: That's right. As we go to air, the National Hurricane Center suggests that there may be two hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico simultaneously early next week. Remember, we are already in a record Atlantic hurricane season with storms coming left and right days and days before they would normally hit. We've already now hit our uh, 12th named storm. Laura, Tropical Storm Laura, and another Tropical Depression, and they could, if they both turn into hurricanes at the same time in the Gulf of Mexico, that would be the first time that's ever happened since record keeping began in like the mid-1800s. You mean
1: that there's two hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico at the same time?
2: Right, and so they could also interact with each other and tear each other apart, so we don't really know where it's going, but it does underscore that hey, now is the time that extreme weather is hitting the United States in the middle of a pandemic. There is no better time than today to make sure that your family is ready for emergency extreme weather.
1: And we haven't even gotten to talk there was so much going on this week about all of the fires now up and down California, and you've got uh, tens of thousands of people who are are in shelters now in various ways in the middle of a pandemic
2: right so it's super important to be ready get ready figure out what you need to do make a plan make sure your family is in on the plan oh and also make sure you've got a voting plan because you know hurricanes are going to continue through election day probably
1: yeah well until then at least we've got rock solid leadership at the top so i feel <laughs> confident everything will be just fine get all ready right. <laughs> uh, uh, yes please do all right uh i think that's it thank you very much to our producer desi Doyen, to my guests today of course Heather Digby-Parton and Eric Bollert, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. It is always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download them all for free anytime at Bradblog.com, made possible by the generosity of, yes, listeners like you who help us stay on your public airwaves. We, we uh, rely only on you those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep going through this impossible season. Uh, thank you. You can drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the BradBlog. That is it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.